Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Seema Ramani, TV and film actress, author, intuitive healer, spirit level counselor, channel for soul creativity, and humanitarian who works with animals, children, and the downtrodden. Today we'll be discussing her experiences with the divine energies and more. Seema, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I read that becoming an actress was a part of heaven scripting because you came from this corporate world. So can you tell us how heaven prompted you to become an actress? Sure. Um, So I had been working in public relations for a couple of years. I was in marketing advertising before that. And I was doing fine. Well, just had a promotion. But something in me uh, just felt like, am I going to be able to do this for the rest of my life? So I walked into my the main boss's corner office on the 23rd floor, looking out beautiful, sunny L.A. I sat down in front of her. And I looked around and I said, this is, this is the end. This is the goal. And I said, no, no, I don't want this. I want to be out there somewhere. So I realized I need to figure some stuff out. And it's a bit scary because I had done my entire education, my master's in marketing advertising, and then switched over to PR. I had student loans I had to pay off. Um, So I said, okay, take some time off, go figure it out. So I took 10 days off and I went to Barcelona. I had a friend there, so I stayed with her. Every morning I'd go jogging in the hills of Barcelona. And my final day there, I hadn't figured it out. So I was at the highest peak I could reach and everything just hit me. Just the anxiety, the the, what am I going to do? And I literally was down on my knees and I said, what do I do? And I was probably crying. I was crying. And I heard a voice, go make movies. It was a male voice. It was not in my head. It was actually a voice from outside, loud and clear. And I turned around to see, and there was nobody. And at the same time, this miracle happened. All that anxiety, all that suffering, all that confusion just went. I was, I felt so good. And the tears, I mean, literally like in a, in a cartoon I used to watch in a, as a child, there was this sweet Chinese man who had a bird friend and he used to play his little guitar and then the bird disappeared and he was crying and crying and I miss her and then suddenly she showed up and then all the tears went back in his eyes and that's exactly what happened with me all the tears just went back and I knew I was okay and I went back to LA sure that all is well even though I didn't know what that meant and I went into my new office because I just got a promotion And my supervisor, one of my supervisors, he walked in, he sat down and he said, hey, Seema, 
so here's the thing. We're going to fire you. And I was like, okay. He says, uh, what, what kind of downsizing? And uh, I don't think you want to be here, do you? He kind of sensed that I didn't want to be there. I checked about another person who was working alongside me. She was okay, okay at her job. So I asked about her and he says, no, she's staying. So I knew this was confirmation. The universe was nudging me out, go, you know? And they also made it very easy for me. God bless them. They, they were like, you know, they fired me so I could get severance pay and all that stuff and stay around. And that's, that's, that's actually in my memoir. So we won't go there. That's how I got a calling to go make movies. I didn't know what that meant at all. And I stepped out there and probably asked somebody, what does that, what do I do? Oh, and then there were some signs. Now I'm like only five foot, six inches. Um, You know, I had horrible hair. I had a bad perm. Why I'm saying this is because there was this freelancer there who that very same day said to me, you should go into modeling. And of course I, and LA standards, you know, no way. So I was confused why she said that. And then somebody else also came along, sweet guy called Chris, and said something, uh, you have a very exotic look. You should try movies. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. So all this was just kind of pushing me in that direction. So then I went and I found out you need an acting coach, you need headshots and all that stuff. And I'm not going to get into that either, really, because it's not spiritual. It's just a journey that was laid out for me. And that's how I went in that direction. Once you started achieving success in that profession, did you feel spiritually fulfilled? Not at all. There's nothing spiritual about achieving success in any profession uh, that the world is designed as a profession. So I didn't achieve what is called success in that profession while I was in L.A., but I did discover that I could act, which was basically living a role very truly. And I discovered that with my first acting coach. So I jumped into theater and I did lots of theater. Three years into that, I realized that, you know, if I want to earn a living through this, I've been doing these side jobs and everything, but I need to start earning through TV and film. So I tried, but there was this huge non-ethnic wall in front of me in Hollywood. I couldn't get my foot in the door for an audition for the kinds of roles that I wanted to be considered for. I didn't look white. I didn't look black. I didn't look anything. I looked ethnic. That, that's a label that Hollywood had. And I realized that slowly, slowly that that's a problem. I'm not going to get a chance to even. So I did this thing. Um, it's called showcases. And I decided to just pay and get seen by casting directors or actively casting. And so I, did that for a month or two. Sure enough, all those casting directors started calling my agent and asking me to come in for auditions. So I started auditioning for, I was the only one who looked like me in that auditioning room. I mean, all ages, all beautiful colors, always, almost always went to the final callback, never got the part because I didn't look the part. So at some point I realized, and there's, um, there was an actress in India who immediately got the lead role in a big commercial film. Compared to Hollywood standards of acting, I didn't get it. How did that happen? And then it hit me. It's just business. You have to be a star somewhere. 
if you are not going to look the part, if you're ethnic, whatever that meant to them, because I don't understand that. I don't have that kind of programming to differentiate people based on skin color. I, I just never had that. Um, so for me, I was just me, just a person who could act. Um, so I, I realized that's the deal. And then it hit me because I also saw other people who fell in the ethnic category and there was just no way they were going to get into those good roles. They had to put on this heavy accent, all that stuff that was just silly. And I said something at that point. Okay, wait, I won't say that now. Um, basically, what happened was anxiety in my professional life. It was like scary. It's like, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I can't do it. I can't reach there. I can't get over this wall. Um, wow, I was really, really um, scared and confused. At this point, the other thing that was culminating to cause me a lot of pain and anxiety was my personal life. For over a decade, I had gone through some serious heartbreaks. Um, you know, I had a fiance, I had a first love, and it just kept not working. And this, this, the saying, nothing is permanent, just kept proving itself in a very painful way. So at this point, with both my personal life and my professional life causing me anxiety and confusion, I just... Uh, was near a, a really, uh, I was just in a very, very suffering place. So at this uh, stage, I had, a, I'd made a friend. In fact, he's a wonderful man who was meditating himself at that point for quite a few years. And he, he's also a photographer. And we sat in a coffee shop and I said, you know what, I'm going to go to India because I can make a difference there. And why that mattered to me is because even as an actor, I realized that through theater, that I could move people that I could move them to think about things they hadn't thought about before, that I could move them to feel something that they hadn't felt before, that I could move them to come together in understanding something they hadn't understood before. There were just these amazing roles I was able to do in theater. And, and so I, I wanted to make a difference. That's kind of like what runs through me. So at this point, I, I, I just was suffering. I said, I'm going to make a difference. I just go to India. You know, in India, I can step out of the house and I can feed a dozen people with close to nothing because that's how cheap it is here uh, to feed people on the street. And it's true. My friend David said to me, the most profound thing. And he said, um, you don't have to go anywhere to find your purpose. You just have to go within. And then not only purpose, but all the pathways will find you. When he said that, Jeff, it hit me like a ton of bricks just boom, landed right there in front of me. And I couldn't move. I couldn't run to India. I, I actually put my head down. And I think I cried quietly in that cafe for maybe 20 minutes to a half hour. And he just sat there. And when I looked up, finally, he said, are you okay? And I said, I'm working on it. So then he taught me meditation. He sat there in that coffee shop and just said, follow your breath. So I went home and somehow, again, it's just, I feel like it's really descriptive because why did that make such a profound difference to me? And how did it make me just relax into meditation every day, 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening, disciplined? 
And after approximately two months of doing that, I had an experience. So that's the experience that uh, a lot of people who have near-death experience, they go into the other realms, they go into the, to the other side. And I was pulled to the other side in that uh, med- particular meditation. Now, the thing is, I wasn't really meditating that well. You know, people say, I can't meditate. I can't stop thinking. Well, I couldn't either. So I tried to just focus on my breath, but the thinking would happen. And then I would just come back to the breath. But somewhere in there, it happened. Now, I do believe, because I wonder why, I've heard a lot of people and how they describe things when they go to the other side. Well, I have nothing to describe. Because I, all I was allowed to remember was the tunnel and the squiggly gray lines that I'm pulled through fast. And next thing I know, I'm landing. Literally, I felt like I just landed back in my body. I think that timer had already gone off. I didn't hear it. Uh, But everything had changed. My whole perspective, not just from my eyes, but from the core of me, I was absolute bliss. Surreal, heavenly love and bliss. That's all that was flowing through my being. And it stayed that way. In that moment, of course, all anxiety, suffering, confusion, everything went away. And I realized that I've got everything already. I've got everything. I don't need anything. And that's it. That's it. I walked around, sat around, just love, love, love. And yes, um, as people have mentioned to you, I think uh, people were very drawn to me, you know, for reasons that were just like, uh, so that's, I would say, if you ask about success, that was, (laughs) that's the most beautiful success I had in that field. Who do you think was that voice that spoke to you in Spain? And while we're talking about that voice, during the down parts that you had all this anxiety, were you ever questioning that voice? No. And, you know, if I, that's the thing. There's, I, 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 I say that uh, we know something we don't know. We all know something deep down inside that we don't know up here. And all the noise in the world and the way we're brought up keeps distracting us from connecting with that knowing that we are actually carrying into this world in this body when we're born. That knowing is probably what, without even realizing it, never had me question who spoke to me. I wondered, but I didn't analyze it because it released me from all that pain. You know, I mean, what more can you ask for? So it it really gave me the peace that passeth all understanding. So I never have analyzed it. I'm not very, uh, I don't think I'm very mind oriented. You know, I don't believe in overthinking, thinking, thinking. I mean, it may happen automatically, but I don't think that I am because I think. Uh, So, yeah, the voice, who was the voice? I never knew. I suspect something, and that's only because, uh, so that was, uh, that was 1997, by the way, in the mountains. So in 2012, when I went to Delhi, I met guides from other realms, and a male voice has spoken to me, because there's a woman, there's two women and a man. It could be him. It could be him. 
Do you think it that, wasn't a feeling of God? It wasn't a feeling of God. Do you think that it was your own personal spirit guide that's been with you uh, all along? Yeah, except there's something I was told in when I moved to Delhi because I moved into a space where I was getting a lot of information. I have many, 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 many spirit guides. Uh, or I should just say, it's not like I have many spirit guides. There's just a lot of guides out there that are available, Jesus included. Uh, they don't belong to any one particular following or culture or religion, not at all. And that makes sense for someone like me because I don't feel that way either. I don't belong to anything. No way. Not since since the day I was born, I knew that. So he's one. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up because your father was Muslim, your mother was Hindu, and mm. you just never cling to anything, right? Not at all. Never. Never. I knew that I was all or none. And when I say none, I mean I'm one. That's it. I also, by the way, never related to a gender. I never understood um, the difference. I think we're all the same. I know that there are some characteristics or energy, the yin and the yang energies, but that can be within, you know, yin energy can also exist in the male. Uh, the balance is a beautiful thing. So I never associated with these things. I, I do, I have been told by people who've known me for years and years that I kind of have this naivety about me. So I, I couldn't peg things into slots. Um, there's something I, I could share here. I, just, I mean, it's, it's I, okay. Um, so I told you about the ethnic thing. I told you about the non-ethnic wall that Hollywood had. And when I moved um, through euphoria, I, had, I didn't run to India, but I made some practical decisions. And I knew that I had to go to India next for my, for not just the professional stuff, but also for the spirit thing euphoria had brought to me. I knew that it was carrying me, told me go there, right? And what I said then, was Hollywood needs time to be able to um, exhibit its its the 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 unity of its beautiful uh, ethnic you know mixed ethnicity. What makes America such an amazing mix of, if you want to use the word ethnic ethnicities? I mean. I can't relate to that because, again, I think we're all one. But there is such a beautiful uh, range, you know, of uh, people. And you don't have to slot them based on color. And so you don't have to have leading uh, hero, hero and leading ladies and leading men to be of the same color. So I said at that point that Hollywood needs time to represent the truth accurately. And I was right. 20 years later, it's doing it. Today, it's doing it. But it didn't just need time. Like most things, it needed events to happen. And those things did happen recently. And that's when Hollywood, I, I can guarantee you, because most of the times we are stuck in these distortions, which are based on our programmings, and we don't realize what we're doing. We don't realize the choices we're making that are affecting either keeping an environment that we're living in stagnant, not evolving, or it's bringing it down. So I know that Hollywood has some amazing, uh, open-minded, evolving 
spirits working there as directors, writers, producers. I know it. But they were kind of stuck, I think, in this white with white, black with black, usually, usually, you know. Um, but then this happened, the, you know, the last few years of some leadership happened. And all this difference that was causing so much hate was brought to the front line. And Hollywood people have realized that we have to do our part. We have to do our part to represent the truth and make sure that people can't see color as a problem, as a difference. So I noticed since I think it's last year um, on platforms where there are TV serials and films and that now it's just a mix. It's a mixed bag, you know, and it's so beautiful to see that. And I think in this way, America is a beautiful example of unity. It really is. It's very rare. And it's uh, the country in itself, what it can do. Have you ever had any past life regression or recounted any of your past lives as being different ethnicities, different genders? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, Euphoria, when I had that experience, 144 poems came out of me in the next month and a half. I was, it was, it wasn't exactly an out-of-body experience as I'm floating and watching, but I didn't know what I was going to write. And I found myself at my computer just typing away. So all this, these, I called it poetry. Um, I think, I suspect that my soul has a poetic flavor to it. So it has a lot of, uh, it, it just, it describes things poetically. In those poems, three were life, lifetimes. Um, represented moments of three different lifetimes. I don't, I, okay, honestly, I did feel like they were me. Why I say that honestly is because one of them was so hurtful. I didn't want it to be me. <laughs> He's a serial killer. Um, I saw him as African-American. I don't even like that word. American who has the color black, whatever. I don't understand all these things, but you know, I saw him as that, as an African-American man on death row. And he's just said some beautiful stuff. He had an awakening in his cell before he was going to go and be executed. He had an awakening. And so he said what he said in that poem. Another one was uh, like an Irishman, a warrior who had, uh, he was in full uh, the olden garb of the shield and everything. And he was on this field with, there's a lot of dead bodies. And he was just doing his job, but he'd had it. His heart was ripped. He was tired of killing. And so he said what he said in the poem. And another one was in at the, during the Holocaust. So it was a couple who didn't know each other. And they were being pulled to the gas chambers, the male, female, you know, uh, to their death in whichever way. And she was going to the gas chamber and they were somehow, whether it's, I don't know if across a fence or what, but they caught each other's look, gaze. And in that moment, something magical happened. They experienced the love of God through the eyes of the, each other, the unconditional, overwhelming, eternal 
euphoric love. And they realize they're okay. Nothing can hurt them, no matter what. So that was in that poem. Do you think people who can recall or understand that they have had many, many lives, both as male and female, it's easier for them to just kind of not really identify with a gender because they've been both so many times. Makes sense. Um, either that or that being is, um, okay, that being is so connected to the truth of, that, of the soul that it doesn't have the distortion of having to identify with the, with the gender. So the things we think are normal on this planet, like gender differentiation, race differentiation, all these things are distortions that are programmed into us over and over and over and over again. Fair enough. We're here to experience. We're here to experience dualities, differences. But the souls who don't relate to any specific gender, I think, remember something they know without really thinking about it. Right. And on the other side, if we're just pure energy, we don't really yes. have gender or ethnicity exactly. or color. We're just energy. That's, yeah, that's it. Exactly. Um, in your opinion, what do you think is keeping us from elevating our vibrations? The distortions. <laughs> and the distortions um, are programmings. So they are on every level of earth life. You're born, first of all, you know, the baby's crying because it's just come from the most beautiful love into this space. And now from that vulnerable space, you are obviously naturally taught to depend on the outside world for everything you need. And as you grow physically and psychologically, that program, that that belief that you need to look outside you for every fulfillment is encouraged. Now, the parents are programmed the same way the child is going to be, as were their parents. And even though programmings change a little bit, maybe, you know, with uh, what you call generations, um, where people say it's not like in our days, you know, these days. So it's a new programming but it's still programming. So what's happening is the, the child is growing up to identify to un itself with everything that's coming at it and just, and defining it. And this just goes on and on and on. I'll give you an example since I've lived across, you know, in the Middle East and the East and the West, and I've come like kind of the strange naivety, skin color difference, calling somebody black, calling somebody white was strange for me. I, I still don't. I mean, I have a very hard time with that. They're just human. I don't get it, you know? Uh, and yeah, sure, man, woman, I, okay, I can do that. But also, like, when I went to high school, I was 15, and I landed in the U.S., and I went to high school. Um, so there were these cliques. So there were the jocks, the geeks or something, the, you know, theater people. So there were these slots, I didn't understand that. Of course, I didn't fit in any one slot. So I got along with everybody, uh, made friends with, with everybody. 
But what happens is what we think is so innocent in these slottings is actually programming happening. And there are insecurities that are developed because of it. Also, there is a way of, of uh, let's just say, uh, there's a way of teasing in school, for example, that people just take for granted. Oh, that's how kids are. Oh, kids are mean. Why do you believe that? Why are you settling for that? No, kids are not mean. No, that's not how it's supposed to be. No, if you're a jock, it's not impossible for you to be a bookworm. I don't know. You know, no, no, no. Break the programming. Yes, it is the responsibility of the parent. And of course, it's the responsibility of the teacher because somewhere these programmings have to be broken. Somebody has to say, look, 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 that's just the stage the theater, the play, the drama, the Leela. It's all earth man-made. This is what I call man-made stuff. Truth is beyond all this. And yes, to say that to a child is a very important thing. So you need a parent to get that first. And if a parent's not getting it, God willing, a teacher can get that. So this links to why I feel it's really important to have certain things as regular curriculum in schools. Um, but the, those those programmings, and so I gave an example of, for example, an American school, but I'm also talking now of, let's say, an Indian one, all right? So we don't have these kinds of slots and clicks, but we have a different programming. You have to be, you have to be good in sciences. And uh, if you're a good science student, you're going to be a doctor or an engineer. The only next respectable thing is a lawyer. Of course, there are people who are breaking out of that definitely now over some gen few gener couple of generations, one generation. <laughs> Not sure how long people are breaking out of that, but there are these distortions. So uh, a child, obviously, if you're an old soul, it, you're not going to buy into it. But I did go. I did go for engineering, by the way. You know, I loved my physics. I loved my biology. I loved my math. You know, chemistry was OK. And my grandfather was an engineer and somehow I, you know, I saw him when I, I was one year old and then he passed away and somehow that seeped into me like, oh, I should be an engineer. <laughs> and I went for engineering. Then I switched to communications because I again looked around the room and said, mm, not all my life. No. <laughs> you know. So these, these are the distortions. These are the programmings that basically are keeping us in a connected to the world, the man-made, I call it man-made human-made, the world ideas of real, the world ideas of this is normal, but it's not. So if you're going to elevate your vibrations, you have to break out of all these definitions that the world has, even of a word like success, even of a word like failure and win and competition. I've never understood competition. I just don't get it. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I used to run. I was in races and stuff on sports day but I didn't take it seriously but to define yourself like another thing the beautiful American culture does is define itself with sports teams like it's a matter of life and death <laughs> we better win 
<laughs> and that just gets passed on and on and on. Not just American culture, I'm sorry, everywhere. So we have the Indian cricket team, you know, and oh, India, Pakistan, it's all just this dumbing you down. You are not any of that. You are so much more. So if you can be aware of your truth and then just be here and be entertained by this momentarily, if you find it entertaining, great but it doesn't define you. And that's what, when we break out of the definitions and the programmings that this planet has been keeping us asleep, and I don't say the planet as in the planet, I mean the, the, the inevitable passing down of the programming generation to generation that has kept people asleep, not satisfied in any way internally, but just going through the motions and believing. And then, you know, an entire lifetime can be lived in the illusions of this, because I say that, you know, for example, a person, there's so much to distract you. What is distraction is a distraction, I call it, the traction that you and spirit reality are supposed to maintain if you want to be, know yourself, know thyself. That's your natural way of being. But fair enough, we've come onto a planet and has grown to develop, uh, to use its mind and to invent things. So we start, you know, associating ourselves with what we do. But the good news is, I know that some people say, why would we come back to this planet if we are so happy up there and we're, you know, in fullness and wholeness as a soul? Why would we bother just to experience? And I, I get that. I get that. Well, guess what? The fact that you're even asking these questions is show is telling us something that the time has come. In 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 I think it's probably the Hindu religion, though I'm not saying uh, subscribing to any religion. There's a word called Kalyug and Satyug. So Kalyug is like the age, or I would say the stage, the theater stage of darkness, and Satyug is the age of truth. And sincerity, even you could say. So the movement is going from Kalyug to Satyug. And like somebody had described, uh, I've heard this a long time ago, when you turn the fan off, so it's, you know, you're in a Kalyug, you're going, it's the cycle, the cycle, the cycle, as you're asleep, you're asleep, you're, you know, uh, dissatisfied inside, you don't know yourself. And then they turn the fan off and it doesn't just suddenly stop. It takes its time, slowing down. So the Kalyug is slowing down. The Satyug has to start. It, st it started, sorry. You know, so the fan has started and it's going to grab, take its momentum. So what, when the soul, the soul's coming in for experience through our sensations, you know, I call us, I call myself an experiment and I know I am. I know how I've been used <laughs> to unravel the human psyche when it comes to the mind and the emotions. I know I was used for that because I got to break out of the patterns. I got to break out of the false programming and release myself through my inner journey. And everything I did, I was able to help others with. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to know how do we break out of this programming? Can you give us some tips? So anybody who wants to break out of it, obviously. Truth in portals, this, this, this portal, your online portal. It's, it's giving you the information 
like when my friend David said, you don't have to go anywhere to find your purpose. You just have to go within. Why did it hit me so hard as truth is because you already know. You already know. It's just covered up with layers of programming. So the way to break it is to make the time to be aware of you inside. Just be inside you. The world is not going to let you do that. Life's routines are not going to let you do that. So you're going to have to prioritize making space, silent space and time for yourself. What I did initially without knowing anything was sit 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening, focus on my breath, still was thinking, just kept doing it. It's not about trying to achieve something. It's just being, just being inside. I love closing my eyes and just being, it's so beautiful. And it's not just me, it's you, it's all of us, you know? So we've just been programmed not to be okay with that, not to feel comfortable with that. Our comfort zones are all externalized. So know that you have to go in, know that the journey is within you, know that everything you need is inside so the journey is in. And if you want it, ask and you shall receive. Because everybody's journey is individual and unique. What happened with me? We happened with me. The paths, the books, the messages I received, the people I came across, the spirit, the voice. It's all, this is, this is what happened with me. Somebody else, something else. But you have to want it. And you have to make yourself available. Even if it is for 15, 10 minutes in a day. Because you've decided, I'm committed, I'm dedicated to me, to my, the truth of me. And then it'll happen. In the beginning, I mentioned that you're a humanitarian. Meeting with Mother Teresa, was that a catalyst for you becoming a humanitarian? No, I was born that way. So I was saving flies that couldn't fly and birds that had fallen, whatever. No, I was born being, um, it's just, it's just a part of me. So uh, I, I think maybe I might have said earlier, you know, there's a professional life and then there's the personal life and my professional life anxieties were cured with euphoria, but my, the universe wanted me to, you know, put me through the ringer with the personal life so that I could learn the psyche in a, in a, in a detailed manner. But then there's also the humanitarian and I, I, I in all of us, uh, whether we aspire to it or whatever, but it's there. So that was always solid in me. I was born that way. Mother Teresa, uh, in the early 90s, I believe I met her. And it just so happened I was with somebody who was with uh, very active in her uh, work in Bombay. And we had to go pick her up, I think, at the airport. And we came back. And I just went to her. And I found myself saying, um, I'm going to help our children. I promise. I didn't know why I said that. And then she gave me this little thing, Mother Teresa, I think the same thing, a pendant like thing. I, I did. I, I remember thinking, why did I say that? I mean, of course I love to, I, I care about children, but why? I, and then it happened literally just, it started happening where when I was a, an aspiring actor in LA, I found that I just couldn't keep a job, you know, just to earn a living. I couldn't keep a job that didn't mean something. <laughs> 
like I used to sell printer ink. And I got so excited because this ink is not going to evaporate. It'll last longer. It's not alcohol based. And I made the most number of sales that week. And then my colleagues said, you know, it's a lie. <laughs> and I quit. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> so I ended up working with children in a group home. Um, as, as my bread and butter job. Um, and uh, I, that's an incredible experience that is in the memoir. Um, um, so I ended up working with those children. I ended up teaching in an inner city middle school that, you know, how they have those metal detectors for guns and stuff. So that kind of a school. Um, the kids had burnt down half the library at some point, uh, uh, I was thrown into the special education class, they called it. I know what special education is. It's like learning disability. And you don't have too many students in that and you have two teachers. Well, this had 40 kids in it and no teachers. <laughs> and they were not learning disability kids. There were all the kids kicked out of other classes because they were not manageable. So I had a beautiful experience with them too. And I, And these things came very naturally to me. Uh, working with children, understanding them, knowing how to deal with them. Uh, so I guess I, I did do what, uh, and so that's also where I recognized distortions and programmings and how they are, what is expected of a difficult child when you're expecting it, you treat them that way and then you get that in return, you know? And so the programming gets reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. Your memoir is called Journey of a Truth Seeker, A Beloved's Path Out of Unfree Will. Can you tell us about your path of unfree will? Oh, yeah. So that was the programming that I had to free myself from. I'll tell you what. So that. So after euphoria, I was in bliss. And yet one question appeared. No other question appeared. One question appeared. And I can't remember how I phrased it, maybe. But basically, it was like, wow this is amazing, this wholeness, this completeness. So now tell me something, Mr. Universe or Miss Universe. Am I never going to need a, a relationship, you know, the romantic relationship? Because I feel so whole. Like, you know, earth age-wise, I'm young. I don't feel the calling to, you know, some kind of a spiritual thing where you are not with a partner. What's, what's the deal with this? And I didn't get an answer back when I asked that question. So that was what pushed me into my journey of experiencing. So this was the part of my life where I had to go through experiences. And um, the belo beloved's path out of unfree will, we all think we have free will here. We don't. We're supposed to. We have the, we are, we have the potential to. But as long as you're operating from a programming, you're not free of it. So you're not free. You don't know the choices you have because the programming is leading you to make your, to walk your walk, to talk your talk. So my programming had to do interestingly or not interestingly with my love life um, where the universe made sure that I didn't see it come culminate into a forever happy forever after. And 
it wasn't just that it was really heartbreaking because I really I had this thing I, I uh, my friend said oh you love too deeply too much and that's why you get hurt and I didn't understand what that meant at all and it really doesn't mean anything um but at that time I was trying to figure out why is this happening and so I had these so in 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 2004 um I had a heartbreak and I remember I walked into my apartment and I was just wreaking havoc inside. And I stripped myself down. By the time I reached my bedroom, I was naked and on the floor, surrendered and crying, my heart breaking. And suddenly I started to hear a dialogue in my right ear. So a man and a woman started speaking to each other. And I got obviously pulled in curious and I started listening and they just kept talking and they kept talking. And I, I was like, whoa, whoa. And I grabbed a piece of paper and a pen and I started to write what they're saying. And I just kept, and they did this for hours. I just kept writing. I kept writing. I'm not hours. I don't know how long, but they kept talking and I kept, and it was nighttime. At some point they seemed to pause and I fell asleep. And then I woke up in the morning and they woke up with me <laughs> and started talking. So I started writing again. I'm just writing and writing and writing and uh, then they paused and I had planned to go to Pune. I was in Bombay at the time. Um, my parents lived in Pune, so I was going to go there. Uh, and so once they stopped talking, I boarded a bus and I went, you know, with notepad in hand just in case. And when I got there, I started to input everything in our desktop computer. Everything had scribbled down and it turned and I, it, it took me three hours, uh, three days and three nights because I was trying to decipher all my scribbles. And maybe because they were still talking to me. Um, and it was a play, Life Like Rainbow Gray was the name of it. Through it also came some poetry, Rainbow Gray Poetries. So in that, the content of that has so much to do with deprogramming, by the way. <laughs> and it had a lot to do with love. But in that play, um, the children I cared for in the group home, they were speaking very clearly. So it was about children, but it was also about love. And it was also about marriage. Um, and that he healed me in that moment, obviously from my heartbreak, it healed me. I had this beautiful gift handed to me and I didn't find the right actor. I, I completely resonated with the female character. I didn't find the male actress. I went on. Uh, the heart, my personal life heartache uh, next was in 2006. And so what I, why I'm saying this, this personalized stuff was, is, is the universe is working to, is working with my energies. It's working to deprogram, you know, pluck away this, pluck away that. And I can't tell you exactly. So in 2006, I can tell you exactly what got plucked away. Uh, I had actually um, met my childhood best buddy, one of my best buddies from childhood after 21 years. And we never expected it, but we fell in love. You know, this thing called falling in love. He lived in Kuwait. I had actually stopped by Kuwait because he had found me and I was shooting in New York of one of my films. And uh, he said, why don't you stop through here before you head back to India? I said, okay. So I did. I thought I'd stay three days. I ended up staying a month. And then we just, it was like, oh, wow. Like, as if we've been waiting all our lives for this, you know? And I came to India, but something was off. Like, not off, off, but. I couldn't believe it. It was almost like overwhelming that is this real? Because I already had so many heartbreaks. I couldn't believe it. 
it didn't work out. And when that one didn't work out, I really hit. Oh, I was really in a, in a well of pain. And I remember lying on my couch and my friend was sitting nearby. She felt like she better be with me at this time. But I didn't need her. What I needed was to know the truth. I wanted to understand what went wrong because it wasn't clear what went wrong. And I just asked for truth. I asked for understanding and I refused to get, in fact, I couldn't walk. Actually, I felt like my legs were paralyzed. It really, I was in a lot of pain emotionally. And that's when I had a vision. The vision was of me standing as if I was standing naked in front of a mirror with cracks, deep cracks, you know, like the kind of cracks you see in a dried out desert land, like no water for, from my head all the way down. And a voice said, a female voice said, how can the river of anyone's love be enough when the cracks we carry won't allow nourishing waters to remain? And I just sat up, all my tears stopped, all my pain ceased. And I said, I need to understand how to bring the rain in for my cracks. And what interestingly happened in that moment, <laughs> okay, I got a message, detoxify and purify. And in that moment, I decided I'm going to fast. I hadn't done anything like this kind of fast before. And it just so happened by divine timing that this thing called Ramadan, which belongs to the Islamic culture, 30 days of fasting. So you stop eating from sunrise to sunset, eating, drinking, everything, nothing goes in your, nothing goes in your system. I decided I'm doing that. Detoxify and purify. I need answers. I need to understand what happened. And I did. And on the 17th day, I understood. I understood the programming that had led to me seeing something that might have not even existed in our relationship. And it was, so this is how we keep our vibrations low, how we don't elevate out of the, the programming. The programming can come not only from the way we're raised because of the things that are set in place to believe, but also from wounds, you know, our psychological wounds, traumas, all those things that have kind of put themselves in us. And then they start coming out in here and there. And they keep us low and they don't let, uh, they, they make us helpless, basically. Um, so I saw what had happened. My, my, at that time, the, the gentleman that I was, my, my dear friend from childhood is, he, he, he belonged to the Muslim religion. And I saw certain Muslim kind of routines that started to scare me. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but they did. And I started just telling him things like, uh, when we have kids, we're not going to do that. <laughs> um, there are just these things that I was getting scared about. What, what I saw in my fasting when I, when I saw the light of truth was that actually what had scared me was my own, when I was 15 and I moved to the U.S. by myself, by the way, I stayed with people who were of the born again Christian religion. I didn't, I, I didn't uh, know them well, but they were the right place. That was the only place I could stay. And I had to go to church and they had some very strict rules. And they spoke about how everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ is going to burn in hell. At 15, I knew that couldn't be possible. I had a meeting with the pastor. I told him about my 
lineage and how I can't imagine that Mahatma Gandhi is burning in hell. I can't believe that my great grandmother never even heard of Jesus, you know, but he believed it's true. Even though I didn't get traumatized in that experience. In fact, I even got baptized when somebody very close to me in the household died and I got a little vulnerable and I, you know, people in that church used to say, you're so much more Christian than the Christians. None of that made sense to me why you had to be one thing, but when I left there for different pastures, um, <laughs> no pun intended, um, I didn't feel trauma from that experience. But now, how many years later? Whoa, <laughs> that was like 1985. So this is like 2006. That that affected me today, that day, that that relationship, the fear, the the fear of being contained within a structure, not being allowed to do this or that, uh, being, I'm going to say it, brainwashed, you know, I, all that came up. It may not even have applied to my partner's reality, but all those rituals, those routine things to do with the religion started to freak me out. And when I realized that there was this scared person inside of me I never thought was possible because honestly I've always lived very positively very upbeat very open fine but she lived there inside me and I and she had to I had to let her go I had to let her go at this point in your life where is your spiritual path leading you to now just the now just the now there's no more going and leading anywhere I noticed that in my research of you the way you phrased it was just, I am. Ah, yeah. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Um, that's the most truth I feel about who I am is just the I am. Uh, can I read something to you? Sure. You asked, so I have to say. Is this from your book I, or, or is this from your book it, or from someone else or somebody else's book? No, no, no. From the book, from the memoir. Okay. I am. Mm. I am is to know the peace and calm of it, to feel the completeness and love of it, to experience the creativity and joy of it, to be it and not be any one molding of it. To marvel at the richness and gloriousness of it, to embody amness by breaking out of I-ness, to hold the lamp of truth up bright inside, to revel in its oneness through our everyday life. That's I am. And that's so everyday life. See, I mean, our time on this planet in a lifetime is nothing. And I know that it's barely it's a not blink of an eye in soul time. Uh, I've written in the memoir also another way of how uh, it's always the now. It's always, always, always the now. You're always in your now. Because even if you were to pretend to be God, I mean, you are (laughs) divine energy, but if you were to create a world where you took your one moment and stretched it out into many, 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 many seconds. And then for the inhabitants of that planet that you've created every, every millisecond is a different time. 
you know, for their life. No matter what, in their entire lifetime, it's always the now for where they come from. But I think the problem is we're never focused on the now. We're always focused on the past or the future, and it's hard for us to get back to the now. And that's because we, when you say we're never focused on the now, that's because we are not being I am. We are not being who we are. We are being the mind. Only the mind can take you out of the now. Nothing else can. So the mind that was used to invent, the mind that was used to think, the mind that was used to create started getting way too much importance. And instead of it being your instrument, it became the master of you. That is also where the ego personality comes. Obviously, you have to have an ego to be in a dual, dualistic world. Obviously, you do. But to be able to live with awareness that you are not actually your ego. And when I say ego, some people misinterpret it as ego, the controlling. No, no, no. The ego identity has personality traits and they'd identify with this uh, idea of the world. It can also be the victim in you. You know, that's ego. The helplessness of you, the disempowered you. That's the ego who thinks you can't be as big and beautiful and all encompassing as you are. So the only reason that is, is because the mind has taken over. It's made the identities that you identify, identify yourself with, be it, you know, a sports team, a culture. Why are you, I mean, look, we can appreciate the beauty of differences, like in cultures. But first, let's start with loving our oneness. Let's start with loving our commonality, which is the energy that we are, which is a shared compassion, which is a shared knowing, then we can start liking the differences. <laughs> Do you think that the whole point of coming here is to experience separateness? So being here, that's the part of the whole deal is having an ego and experiencing being a culture yes. or whatever. Yes. So in your source uh, energy, obviously you're not going to feel separate. So you it's an, like I say, I'm an experiment. So we're experiments. So we come here and on this planet and there's many other planets, but in this planet we're here and we have this thing called free will, which we're not using most, most of the time, unless we break out of the programming. Sure. We've come to experience what it feels like to be in the physical and the feelings associated with this experience and that experience. But tell me something, what experiences do you want to keep? What feeling experiences do you want to keep? Do you want to keep depression? Do you want to keep pain? Do you want to keep the suffering? We've learned about these things. We've, we're, like I said, you know, the, the age of the planet. So we're going into this place of now knowing ourselves again, the satyuk, the elevating of the vibrations. So we've, we've been coming here. It's not like, you know, why do we come back here? We've been coming here. And each of us coming to our awareness of who we truly are is going to lift us out of the heaviness and the low part of the duality. It's a choice, basically, to learn to make the choice. So are you going to be, uh, you know, pulled left, right, in all directions with your mind's antics and the emotions that come from experiences on the outside? In reaction to experiences on the outside, are you going to be that person? 
Or are you going to elevate yourself and be able to watch what's going on, even what's going on in here, and then choose? So if you want to choose pain, go for it. No one's going to stop you, but choose. Have the free will choice. So that's, that's I think, that level of evolution where you get to choose. And you choose. And if everybody's going to start choosing what feels, you know, like the stuff you don't want to come back from, then what do you think is going to happen to the vibration of this planet? Okay, not everybody, but enough people. Yeah. Are you coming back here next time around or are you going somewhere else? I always said I'm from Jupiter, so I'll probably stick around there for some time. Um, would I choose to come back to this particular stage of the planet? I don't see any reason. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I know that I came by choice um, and I know that we're invincible in truth. We are eternal. So, yes, nothing that happens to me here is going to really harm me. So sure, I could come. And sure, it's a blink of an eye when compared to soul time. All that's true. But would I want to? You're asking me now in this in this life, in this body? I, I don't know. I don't know. Not, not, not um, maybe as the Buddha. <laughs> you know? I mean, we all have the Buddha in us. But, you know, already there when I'm born. And yeah, I, get, I mean, he wasn't already there when he was born. But, I, you know, maybe it's like, like that. Maybe like, like even Eckhart Tolle, you've heard of Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now? Yeah. He went through a lot of suffering. Yeah. So he went through a lot of suffering until he was 30. I think he was 30. And if you, you know, if you could just be born being 30, eh, <laughs> then I'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> then I'll help everybody. Come on, come on, let's go. <laughs> I believe a, a lot of people in the West have this idea that's, that India is this place of spirituality that's been in the culture for thousands of years. But mm. after having an Indian guest, the way I understood it from him is that people are too busy in India anymore to really be involved in spirituality and it's changed. I don't know what India was like, you know, 40, 50 years ago. I don't know. I mean, obviously it was going through a lot at that time, but, um, Okay. For me, spirituality is being connected with that in you that knows kindness, that knows compassion. That is also very practical, by the way. So when I look around and I see a, when there's lack of kindness, um, not everywhere, but then I do live quite an isolated life. Um, when I see it in terms of the behavior towards animals, uh, I, I don't see spirituality. Are there rituals? Is there routines that seem spiritual because they're religious? Sure, there are. Can someone who is connected to the core truth of them find God in those rituals? And yes, you can. But are the people who are so busy only practicing the rituals, but not really sitting in the stillness of their being, are they really able to connect to the truth of spirituality, to God truth, to God energy in that? From my experience, it hasn't. I haven't seen much of that. I haven't seen much of that. 
I'm in a meditation room right now that I have, and I've had people come in here and most of it is just reciting learned ideas from here, from memory. The practice is what makes you spiritual. So I can't stereotype the whole country, obviously. I don't know. But I will say one thing. I'm here, and it's easier for me to be. I am here than it was in America. Because I was, yeah. <laughs> no, not always, but I did visit America quite a few times. Since I moved here in 2003, I've visited. And I've noticed that if I had to live there uh, at that point when I came to realize something that uh, there's something about the environment here. It's chaotic and crazy, but it's also organic. It's very uh, connected to earth. It's very connected to, there's a simplicity. There, uh, though there's a lot of materialism and there's a lot of being lost in the world of the external also, uh, there's also the other, lots of it. In regular folks who are just living simple lives, um, so you can have these deep conversations, what I, what I call normal, but they're deep conversations. I can have them a lot more here. Uh, whereas when I was in the U.S., I, I only had maybe two people I could do that with out of 50, 100, more. Maybe. So in that way, there's something going on here. <laughs> so your book is called The Journey of a Truth Seeker, A Beloved's Path Out of Unfree Will. Where can yes. we find it? Is it like on your website or Amazon? I don't have a website. I used to have one as an actor, uh, but I don't have a website. And uh, I, uh, the book is on Amazon. Um, there's a lot more, obviously, to the spiritual journey, which we have not been able to cover. And it's in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's beautiful. And it's relevant. And it's so relevant. Um, it's on Amazon as as an ebook and as paperback and hard copy as well but unfortunately um i'm not able to decide the price of it as a paperback and hard copy because there's an algorithm that kindle does and based on the fact that i've used pictures in it so there's like these color pictures for some of the poetic expressions so it made it uh more pricey than i would want to ideally uh, but anyways, I mean, it's priceless in terms of the content. The ebook is, I think, something like $6.99 or whatever, but it doesn't have all those images that I was able to, I wasn't able to technically do that with the ebook. Um, but all the content, the stories, the, the poet, poetic expression, it's all there. It's on Amazon. And I'm hoping to have a publisher, actually, honestly, because I'm getting these, this book printed in, in India uh, through a printer. Uh, so I have it on the kind of paper I like, and it's affordable through this printer. Uh, but I'm really hoping that I can find a publisher who can put it on Amazon then instead of me directly putting it on Amazon and do it for the price that I would like it to be so that it's not, you know, so it's much more available. Besides the book, do you have anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? Um, currently working on? No, not unless the universe makes me do something. Uh, but I have other books on Amazon as well. Um so I think if you just put my name, Seema Rahmani, then all of them will come. So you don't, you know, you can figure it out that And I also, there's also this uh, music album, Rab <laughs> Say, that the universe created through me. Really, I mean that when I say it. Um, it's, it's, I, I have to tell you this, um, this 
this is a music album of uh, loving and empowering lullabies uh, and songs with some hums and with a sitar and a flute instrumental. So it's meant for relaxing a child. I like those, you know, those formative years, as we say. So to go to sleep with these kinds of messages, these are very empowering, soul-deep messages, um, simple ones. It's in Hindi. Now, the thing is, when I first put it out in the market on Spotify and everything, and I have these CDs, which nobody uses anymore, but this CD thing actually comes with a booklet, which has a translation, and then in Roman English, the way you say the words. This CD went to a young girl, who was, I think she was like eight years old in the UK. No Indian, you know, heritage in her. She had insomnia. So her mother was a friend of a friend. And her mother was having a hard time trying to help her child go to sleep at night. And she just was having, I think it was a, quite a while she hadn't been able to sleep well at night. And uh, my, my friend sent her this album and my, the girl started listening to it. And on day one that she listened to it, she fell asleep at night. She wouldn't let go of the music. She learned every single song on it. This is a little blonde, blue-eyed girl <laughs> singing Hindi lullabies, learning from the booklet. And her mother was like, I had to ask her to turn it down in the car the other day. <laughs> you know, she just wouldn't let it go. And she started sleeping. I've also had grown-up people listen to it and call me and cry um, because they connected with a love, a self-love that they had forgotten when they listened to it. So again, when the universe creates, it creates, it creates, it creates beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's on Spotify. So you're not, yeah, you're not going to get it on Amazon anymore, but it's on Spotify. It's download. Yeah. So after listening to this podcast, people may want to reach out to you, ask you questions or chit chat with you. Are you yeah. open to that? And if sure. so, how can they reach you? Well, since I really have to learn Instagram and stuff, I have an account, apparently, my friend told me. So I just looked. I mean, I do have an account, I know, because I went on it and I put a, this link, actually, to the album on it. Uh, otherwise, email for now, mm -hmm. before it's, I figure out another way. Um, so my email is Seema, S-E-E-M-A-R-H-M-N, which is my surname without the vowels. So S-E-E-M-A-R-H-M-N at yahoo.co, C-O, dot in, which is for India. It's the Indian version of calm. All right, Seema. Well, before we finish up, can you give us one last positive message? I'm going to read something from my book from that, for that. Because the 2014 experience where the heavens came to me in a light of indigo blue, they basically, I put into words what that experience told me. So I will read that as my positive message. It's a beautiful experience. It's described in the memoir. Um, and I took from it this. Know yourself as an unshakable, timeless, expansive, invincible, all-encompassing, whole, and celebrating love energy. There is no need to surrender the strength of your love. Embrace all in your wisdom. Expand to include all things in your peacefulness. Your greatness is in being, this space of you, your pool of gold. You cannot lose this, so be not afraid. Be free. All is beautiful. 
Seema, thank you for that message. And thank you for coming on and being our guest today. I appreciate you. And I wish you a great evening over there in India. Thank you so much. God bless. Thank you. God bless you.